You're listening to Dedication Point, an oral history of the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. This oral history project was produced by the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership, working in close collaboration with the Bureau of Land Management, the Wildlands Collective, and the Peregrine Fund's Archives of Falconry. The series features 20 interviews conducted with key figures in the history of the Snake River Canyon region. This is episode 20. Amanda Hoffman is the current manager of the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area. She took over this role in March of 2016, having previously served as the acting associate monument manager at Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. We talked with Amanda about the challenges that she's faced since becoming the manager of this NCA and how she's taken lessons from the unique history of the area. You'll also hear our oral history series co-producer, Steve Alsip, jump into the conversation. Steve is the president of the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership, a friends group for the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey NCA, which was founded shortly before Amanda took over as the NCA manager. My name's Amanda Hoffman, and I'm the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area Manager. Do you have a memory of like first hearing about the NCA, or like, an, uh, an, you know, maybe the first time you visited it? I mean, you, you grew up in in the Boise area, right? I did. So my family's from Meridian, quite a ways back, and so. Um, probably, you know, high school, college-ish, I was aware of it. Um, I knew there, there was this place south of CUNA. I saw the signs, you know, on the freeway. Um, but I can't say I ever went there or knew much about it. And in fact, we had moved back from Wyoming. Living in Cheyenne, public land wasn't as much of a thing. It was a lot of private land around Cheyenne. So I would say even then I had a very limited knowledge of what the BLM does, period. And it was really as I started going through my master's degree that I started to learn more about BLM and have a better understanding of it. And then um, when I joined the BLM, I knew about the NCA and kind of what it was, but I didn't visit it or have a really personal attachment to it until I took the position. How did you get involved in this in this field? You know what I mean. Like, where did that interest come from, and then how did it lead to um, you uh, getting this job? So I decided to pursue my master's of public administration at Boise State University, and they had a natural resource policy and administration track. And at that time, I knew that I was really interested in it, but I didn't think I would ever be able to have a job with a land management agency because I'm not an ologist. I'm not a biologist, I'm not an ecologist, I'm not a geologist, um, but it really fascinated me. So I decided to, I mean, I loved public land, so I decided I was gonna pursue that tract anyway. And fortunately, a couple years after I graduated, an opportunity presented itself in Twin Falls, Idaho to be a writer editor for a resource management plan. And those are the overarching plans that guide how BLM land is managed. And so I was able to kind of get into that position and uh, really from there knew that the BLM was where I wanted to spend my career. I mean, I public land is where I recreate and where I get my inspiration and my solitude. And at the same time, I eat hamburgers and drive my car and like to turn on my lights. And um, so ha working for an organization that's so 
aligns with my personal values has been really rewarding to me. So I, uh, I was a writer editor in Twin Falls for about four years and then I went to Carlsbad, New Mexico and became a planning and environmental coordinator. And that position oversees all of our um, preparation of environmental documents and uh, planning documents. So I worked in Carlsbad for a little over a year and then four years in Farmington, New Mexico. And while I was in Farmington, I decided that I wanted to make the leap into management and was able to um, get into a program that BLM has called Emerging Leaders, which gives you an opportunity to get some management experience. And at that point, having worked in oil and gas for about five years, I knew that I really wanted to see the other side of BLM. And so I was very interested in national monuments and national conservation areas and had an opportunity to be the acting associate monument manager at Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And that experience was absolutely incredible. I mean, just seeing the kind of the treasure that that area is. And fortunately, that gave me the experience that when the job opened up here, um, I was able to qualify for it. And it was that combination of being able to come home and work for a, a national conservation area that was really, it was just perfect. Yeah, it's awesome that like this job gave you the opportunity to come back to the place where where you grew up, right? And and this like area where you already had a strong connection with the land, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, my family has been in Idaho for generations um, and the Emmett and Meridian and Burley area. And so I've loved a lot of the other places I've I've lived in New Mexico was great, but it's always kind of that drawback to Idaho that, that's pulled me. And so definitely this is what I consider home. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, give us a, a sense of the, the, the time frame here. Like, um, how long ago was this that you stepped into this position? And like, just give us a sense of like what, what it felt like to uh, uh, to take over as the manager of this NCA, like what you know, what was like the situation you were you were walking into? What were some of like your immediate challenges? Um, so I started in March of sixteen, and I was an, an unusual selection for this position. I think there was definitely a sense among some of our stakeholders that I should be a raptor biologist, um, just due to the resources that are in the NCA, and so there was. A, I think a lot of uncertainty about how effective I would be and whether I was the right fit. Um, but I think the management here recognized that a lot of managing public land is about managing people. And um, coming from a social science background, I think I was able to bring some of those skills as far as developing partnerships and handling the administrative bureaucracy and uh, really working with people that I think the NCA needed. Uh, we're really fortunate that we have outstanding resource staff. Um, we've got a great ecologist and wildlife biologist, and so those programs are in really good hands, and I think I was able to bring um, just some of the overarching um, networking and, and direction to the position. Were there any, like, immediate challenges? I mean, like, what, what, it, you know, what was it like to, like, when you first entered this position, I mean, was like, was there anything that surprised you about the job or like, was there any big challenges you immediately had to like jump into? I mean, what, what was it, what was it like? So I think both probably the biggest surprise and the biggest challenge was how closely we have to work with the military. 
I mean, a third of the National Conservation Area is uh, uh, Idaho Army National Guard training area. And I definitely uh, didn't have any sort of idea how much of my time that would take. And that relationship um, had been getting better for a number of years, but was still a little rough. We have such different mandates. And so trying to get to a place where, um, where we can both kind of coexist in the same area and accomplish both of our goals is a, a constant challenge. But I'm really proud of the partnership that we have right now, that we are in a place where we recognize each other's mandates and we really try to make sure that we're both successful in accomplishing what we want to, want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm curious about the mandate itself, right? Uh, because I think a lot of people maybe don't like understand or have that much like knowledge about like the the management like mandate of BLM as a whole and then how that's different within the NCA so and I mean you were coming from you know you've worked in other areas of the BLM so I'm curious like I mean, first of all, I think it's good to explain that big picture. Like, what are what are the, the difference between the management goals of the BLM as a whole versus, you know, any national conservation area? Um, but then to also talk about like like you personally sort of figuring that out in this new role. So, a BLM's mandate really comes from the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, and we have this um, mandate to manage lands for multiple use and sustained yield. So, this concept that there are a lot of acceptable and great uses of public lands and at the same time we may need to make sure that people can enjoy those uses um, in perpetuity. And so finding that balance between allowing for use and managing resources wisely is kind of that, that place where BLM lies. Um, for national conservation areas and national monuments, we get a little more focused mission. And so the purposes of this NCA are to um, manage, protect, and enhance um, the habitat for raptors, as well as cultural resources and science and educational opportunities. And so on, on a, a regular or normal BLM unit, when you're making decisions, you're really taking into account everything that's occurring out there and trying to weigh the costs and benefits of, of any action. In the NCA, we get to say raptors in their habitat, cultural resources, and science and education are our priority. And we want to be able to allow for as many uses as we can, but those uses need to also support the purposes that the NCA was designated for. I wonder like, if you had any specific goals or like a, a vision for the NCA like when when you uh, when you started this job so my approach to I think all of the positions I've ever taken is to give myself some time to get to know the area before I really develop what that vision should be and so um, so I don't know that I had any preconceived ideas when I first came onto the job, but definitely within the first six or eight months, I was asking to, asked to give a lot of presentations about the NCA and really talk to people about it, and I quickly realized that we had a 25th anniversary coming up. And I also realized that 
the NCA had this fascinating history of people being so passionate about it and um, really dedicating their lives to have this area protected. And it felt like some of that energy had been lost. I think sometimes people think that the designation is the fix, and really that's that's the beginning, and you always have to be working to make sure that you're living up to that designation. And so to me, the 25th anniversary provided this opportunity to recognize all the people who had given so much of their time and energy to the NCA, and also remind the community about this amazing resource they had in their backyard, and introduce it to all of the people that have moved into the valley since it's been designated. And so that's kind of been really the focus of my job over the past couple of years is raising the profile of the NCA so that we can then start to tackle some of the the issues we're seeing out there. Um, we have a, a lot of challenges with illegal dumping. Um, being so close to Boise, you know, it's a convenient place for people to take their trash, unfortunately. And we get a lot of incidences of trigger trash and some of those less responsible uses of public land. And so what I'm hoping to do um, now that we've had an opportunity to raise the profile is to, to begin to change the culture around some of those less responsible uses of the NCA. I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm gonna like kind of tie Steve into this a little bit because, um, you know, like a lot of the things that that you're saying are like very much in line with what um, we're trying to do with the Birds of Prey partnership. Had you, um, did you have experience working with uh, friends groups um, or like outside like sort of um, NGO organizations? You know, whose mission is to like support. Um, you know, the conservation of public lands in the past? Um, I did work with the Grand Staircase Escalante Partners when I was in uh, Grand Staircase uh, for a while. But beyond that, not a lot of BLM units have friends groups. And so I had a lot of experience working with um, groups that were very interested about their public lands in a variety of ways, you know, whether that be Wilderness Society or Wildlands Defense or um, Friends of Chaco, um, but not not um, a lot of experience working it with a group that was dedicated to supporting the BLM in managing a specific area. Like, do you remember what you thought of this? Like, you know, because when you started, like uh, this friends group, like had just you know been created. I don't even know if it was technically incorporated as an as a an organization. Close. I mean, February. We were. We were an organization with the state of Idaho, but we hadn't gotten our 501c3 yet. So it was okay. in between the uh, EIN number and like we're a real organization to the process of getting a, a nonprofit status. Right, so right. it was definitely early. And, and at that point we were all working full-time jobs and it was a kind of a passion project. It's only in the last, uh, in 2018 that we've had someone full-time pushing and, and working on this uh, nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But I do remember the first time we met was at Dedication Point um, for the field trip from Duck Valley. Um, the first field trip uh, that we right. brought kids out there. Uh, and that was really soon after you started, if I remember correctly. And it was my birthday. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, I remember that too. So I knew uh, after I accepted the position, the Four Rivers field manager who I report to had um, told me that working with a friends group was going to be one of the things that I needed to 
start doing pretty immediately. They were really excited about the um, friends group getting organized and also knew that um, we wanted to support them so that we didn't see kind of that fade away that happens a lot with a lot of groups. And so I was tasked pretty early on with uh, starting to interface with the friends group and figuring out how we could really work collaboratively. And lucky for Amanda, I had zero experiences running a nonprofit or a friends group, so I had no preconceptions of how that should work because um, it was all brand new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned uh, this 25th anniversary, and that's been a big focus. Now that we're getting close to the end of 2018, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on how everything played out? So um, I stole a lot of ideas from Grand Staircase Escalani. I was there when they were beginning to plan their 20th anniversary and thought, you know, that's really a great idea. And so I kind of had in my head some like possibilities for events and I knew we wanted to do something. The scale of what we pulled off this year was above anything I could have ever imagined imagined. I, I had a lot of experience organizing normal BLM outreach events, which is like a public comment meeting or maybe an open house. Um, but this, what we did this year is not typical in the BLM. And I think that that's unfortunate because I think we often, because we get caught up in that kind of public comment interaction with the public, we lose the opportunity to communicate how excited we are about the area. I mean, all of us working for the BLM do it because we love public land and because we love the area that we're working in. And I think that that gets lost. And when we aren't able to communicate our excitement to the public, it's hard for the public to be excited about it, especially if they don't have their own personal connection to the area. And so I, I, I'm, thrilled with what happened this year. I think we had an opportunity to, working with the par partnership, provide the public experiences that they don't normally get on BLM managed lands, whether that be the festival that we did or an artist in residence exhibit or um, this oral history project or a film. Those aren't often within our reach. And so providing those opportunities reaches a much wider audience than we normally do and it reaches them in ways that might um, spark their imagination or their interest or their passion, um, it, again, in ways that we don't normally do. Mm -hmm. I mean, how about, how about you, Steve? I mean, I remember coming to a meeting probably about a year ago, like in this, in this office, you know, that, or it might've been even like more than a year ago, probably um, like just, sort of starting to get these ideas flowing. What were you thinking at that time and like? I was thinking that I should probably quit my job <laughs> if I was gonna make this work. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned this before, I'm new to the Friends Group nonprofit management sector. My background is in wildlife biology and, and that's how I originally came to the NCA and that's where I fell in love with this place. Um, and after many, many years of, of being a biologist and I, I worked for nonprofits and I've worked for agencies and I worked for consulting firms and 
I could never find the niche that I really liked. I really like education and outreach, but I really like research and monitoring as well. And I could get one of those fixes, but I couldn't get the other one. And so as I was starting to not be as happy as I wanted to be in the consulting world and the opportunity to create a group that supported this chunk of public land that I had very strong feelings for, like it just started to click um, and, and several events um, in my personal life just kind of made this decision really easy to make. But it was definitely sitting at some of those meetings in 2017 and saying like, all right, we're, we're going to do a kickoff party in February. We're going to do the largest cleanup in Idaho in March. We're going to plan a festival. We're going to produce a film. We're going to do it well we're going to be a part of the film, um, the oral history project, all these things. I was like, there's no way that our organization can do all these things the way that I think both of us wanted to see them done without really jumping into it like head first. And so it was just sort of a natural progression of, of changing in my career and just really jumping into something that I wanted to do. And I'm so glad I did it because we, the reach that we've had has been tremendous, and I'm really excited um, about the direction that we're going with. And the 25th anniversary couldn't have come at a better time for our group because we had two years to sort of put ourselves together and establish some small projects and what we wanted to do. And then we had this opportunity to really jump in and sort of get our name out there, really strengthen the partnership with the BLM, plus I mean, there's probably eight or 10 other groups um, between the kickoff party and the festival that we've partnered with um, and created some really lasting partnerships um, that I think will help our group going forward for years and years. So um, a mixture of timing and the desire to be a part of something like this um, really came together nicely. Mm -hmm. Steve mentioned other partners. I mean, there are a lot of other organizations, you know, that, that um, do work, you know, uh, conservation and research-based work and education um, in the NCA. Um, I mean, what's it been like to develop some of those additional partnerships? It's been fantastic. I, I think at BLM, we're the land managers, but we don't manage these areas by ourselves. Um, we definitely need the collaboration and the help of all of our stakeholders, everything from Idaho Army National Guard to Idaho Power, which uh, has transmission and generation facilities in the NCA to Canyon County's Celebration Park, which is uh, the state's first archaeological park. And so um, the 25th anniversary has, I think, given everybody an opportunity to contribute to an event um, or an activity and really demonstrate how invested they are in the NCA also. And those, I think you can build a lot stronger relationships in those venues than you can simply working kind of on a small project by small project basis. So now that we're getting close to the end of the 25th anniversary, um, I mean, what comes next, you know, and, and sort of in the context of like what we were able to accomplish um, with all these events and the whole celebration of the 25th anniversary. Um, I mean, like, it, it feels like that, it feels like everything that happened as a part of the 25th anniversary is like a part of like a broader plan. And, and you know, we talked about vision and, and how, 
you know, it took you some time to like, you wanted to get to know the area before you like develop this vision, but it feels like this is a part of your vision. And, and um, if so, you know, what's the next step? So I think we've got a number of, of things to begin working on next year. Um, some of that is our outreach program. We have a, a really fantastic outreach program and we've discovered a lot of events this year that were incredibly successful and we want to carry forward. So we've got some new kind of public outreach um, events and activities that will probably make part of our standard repertoire. I think beyond that, we're looking at tackling a number of issues, again, back to the kind of illegal dumping, trigger trash issue. We're hoping to use raising the profile of the NCA to communicate about better stewardship and use of the NCA. We're also hoping that the raised awareness sets us up for being able to undertake restoration efforts in the NCA. I would say that's the other big kind of need is converting some of our um, annual grasslands back into sagebrush step, which is the ideal habitat for the raptors and why they were here to begin with. And we have um, one project in particular that we're kind of doing the baby steps of this year, but we'll get started on pretty seriously next year, and that's a restoration project at Dedication Point. Um, Dedication Point is our most highly visited site in the NCA, and we have an opportunity to essentially garden that area. Um, one of the challenges we have with sagebrush is getting water on it. At the right time, you're really dependent on rain and precipitation to have a um, successful outcome of sagebrush, but we have an opportunity to water this area with the help of a lot of um, volunteers and partner groups and really demonstrate that successful restoration can happen in the NCA. And we're hoping to use some of these smaller successes to get more attention and support so we can start tackling bigger successes. What are some of the challenges that you've faced you know, over the past few years since you came into this position? One of the historical challenges is the NCA going back, you know, to the 80s is really the impact of fire on the area. And um, we've had 75% of the NCA has experienced at least one fire, sometimes two, often more than that. And the more times an area burns, the less likely you're going to be able to effectively restore it. And so that's something that we um, continue to try to figure out each year. And, and it kind of spans everything from how do you deal with the natural fire cycle and how can you stage resources and come up with strategies that can effectively tackle that to how do you reduce human-caused starts. Um, some of the largest fires that have happened kind of right, right before I came were caused by unattended campfires or um, exploding targets. And so we're constantly looking for ways to reach the public about those um, impacts so that we can try to remove human starts from the equation um, to really give the NCA a better chance at uh, effective restoration. How much of an impact do changes in the administration have on like day-to-day you know, operations. So as uh, federal employees, we work for the president. We're part of the administrative branch. And so certainly 
we're uh, tasked with fulfilling whatever the president's priorities are. That being said, we also um, work in a, an agency that has a legislative mandate uh, where we follow rules and the budgets that are given to us from Congress. So there can be a pendulum shift, um, especially in an agency that's tasked with doing so much, um, multiple use and sustained yield. And so some administrations swing a little more to the multiple use um, side of the equation and other administrations swing more to the sustained yield side of the equation. And so there's definitely kind of changes in course, but overall I would say that the agency has um, a pretty well established uh, mandate. And so we're always working within the sideboards of that mandate. Gotcha. What concerns do you have for the future of this NCA? We're definitely, the Boise area is experiencing a lot of growth. And so that always brings with it um, challenges associated with wildland urban interface. And I think that we're gonna continue seeing that. Um, the CUNA area is likely to expand and that's kind of the gateway community to the NCA. And I think we'll continue to see use of the NCA from Boise. And so I think we're going to be looking at how do we balance those increased demands in terms of recreation um, or other activities occurring out there with the task of managing for ha raptors in their habitat. Um, and I think that's something that the NCA will probably be uh, struggling with for, for a number of years. Right, it's, it's sort of like, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's like we want more people to be enjoying this area and to be recreating there and you know because that is where that's how people develop an appreciation and and a desire to you know continue to protect that area but at the same time like we don't want it to get loved to death right yeah it's the same challenge that a lot of our na our national parks are dealing with we have these spectacular areas um, in the United States and you really want everybody to be able to experience them and have this personal connection with them and to love them as much as you do. And at the same time, when everybody shows up at your door, how do you accommodate them? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a, that's a challenge for public land management uh, in general right now. But I mean, definitely like a specific concern for this particular NCA because, I mean, Boise is the fastest growing metropolitan area in the United States, yep. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's also an opportunity, I feel like. Well, and I think that's where hopefully a lot of our efforts for the 25th anniversary and a lot of the things that we decide to go um, forward with the partnership uh, will help. And it's that, that education aspect and that being able to introduce the NCA to the public early so that they have an appreciation of why it was designated and the incredible resources that are are there because unfortunately with the condition of some of the vegetation out there it's not the most visually spectacular unit we have in the BLM um, and so people often just think of it as desert and it's so much more than that and so that's the challenge is making sure that we can reach people to get that message to them early so that they treat it responsibly. What about climate change? We've been talking uh, with 
you know, a lot of the folks that are involved in, in research um, out in the NCA. And, you know, this is, you know, one of the things that makes this particular NCA so unique is that the boundaries were created based upon science and the habitat requirements for the raptors and specifically the prairie falcons that, um, that live there. Um, but like those, those habitat requirements and those natural boundaries might be changing. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult sort of problem to like wrap your head around. But I mean, I, I guess I just wonder like if that is something on your radar, whether it's like from a research perspective of like, let's make sure we understand how things are changing or if they're, I mean, habitat restoration is clearly connected to that issue. I think one of the challenges anybody who is tasked with managing lines on a map struggles with is what do you do when things besides those lines change? So whether that be from a natural disaster or weather patterns or development, um, the environment is always shifting and changing and yet the lines on the map often don't. And so that's, that's a struggle for anybody in land management. As far as the NCA, I think we have a couple important things going on here. One is trying to make sure that we do a good job of inventory and monitoring of our species. And we're really excited to be able to um, do another survey of prairie falcons that hasn't been done since the early 2000s. And we have the longest uh, survey of golden eagles in the world in the NCA. And so keeping that information up to date so that we do have as much of a pulse on changes in populations as we can is really important. The other thing that's really important is the NCA has this incredible history of being a living laboratory. Um, research and science have been occurring in the NCA since the 60s. Um, and we really work hard to make the NCA available to scientists so that they can be looking at the interaction between all of our environmental factors, whether that be, you know, soil or wind or precipitation or invasive species. We really want the NCA to be a resource so that when scientists have questions about how these things work, they can come and they can hopefully try to get to those answers here. We talked about the developing partnership between your friends group uh, and the BLM. Um, and in 2018, that was very structured around the 25th anniversary. So going forward with this partnership and expanding it and strengthening it, what in 2019 helps develop and strengthen that partnership between the nonprofit that supports the area and the BLM? I was very fortunate uh, to have a friends group that was so receptive to me coming in with all of these crazy ideas right off the bat and saying, hey, help me with this, help me with this, help me with this. Um, so I think now that we've kind of had that year of um, excitement and craziness, it's really time to sit down and for both groups to sit down and say, okay, what are our individual goals? Where do they overlap and how can we help each other? And I think the NCA's needs continue to be um, outreach to the public, getting public support, um, help with some of the inventory or monitoring, and um, 
and we are happy to support the partnership in whatever their goals are also because we recognize their importance in managing um, this unit. So I think we now have an opportunity that we all know each other and know the area and uh, are more familiar with each other's organizations and uh, individual goals to sit down and really explore where those overlap. It's been really interesting to talk to like all these folks that that were involved in you know different like levels. Some folks that like have the position you have, or different position with BLM, or po politicians at various levels, and like how they all interacted. And I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because like mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that they're saying, clearly they wouldn't have been able to talk yeah. about like openly at the time, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but now it's all like fun stories and yeah. like right. cool stuff because like the outcome was positive and eventually mm -hmm. the area was designated as an NCA. But I mean, oh my gosh, like the story that Dean Bibles. Dean has great stories, but every time I listen to Dean, he tells another story about what it took behind the scenes to get the NCA withdrawn and everything. And it just, um, it's amazing. Uh, I, I find all of those kind of behind-the-scenes stories fascinating to begin with, but it also, I think, goes to the fact of having the right people and the right information at the right time and how you really need that synergy in order to accomplish some of these really big things. Does it help you in your current role to, like, hear those stories and to, like, hear about how, you know, things played out in the past and these political sort of dealings that went on? I mean, I, I'm sure that, like, is instructive to you. Definitely. And I think that's one part of that is just my um, my background as a social scientist. So I, I think a lot of people, their their first love of the NCA is often the birds or the soil or the canyon, where mine, what really drew me in was the history. It was how are people interacting with this landscape and what do they have to do in order to accomplish their goals associated with it. And so I got drawn into the kind of the history and the setting the stage for the next step and all of the discussions and the political maneuvering that had to happen, that's really, that was my probably first strongest connection to the NCA. And I think I, I'm a strong believer in learning from history. And so any of those stories about, you know, how did we get this certain piece done or what did we have to maneuver around to accomplish this next thing, I, I just think there's so much to learn from all of that. So I mean, if you take, and I mean, I'm sure you can't talk about specific instances, but like, have you like, have you, have you taken some of these lessons and like directly applied them to your work? Yeah, I think there's uh, definitely something about um, having relationships set in place before big things happen. So making sure that you have that you know people personally that you understand their motivations and their goals and so that you can figure out how to align what you are trying to accomplish with that. Um, there's definitely some instructiveness there. I One of the things that I love about hearing stories about Cecil Andrus and how he managed was how much trust he had in the specialists. He, Karen Steenhoff and Mike Cokert were the biologists on the ground and when he was Secretary of the Interior and he and Dean were talking about 
making a, a change to some of the management or wording in the withdrawal, his question to Dean would be, is Cokert okay with it? I mean, who, who does that, right? He's Secretary of the Interior. He can do whatever he wants, and he's asking if the biologist on the ground would be okay with it. I think that's such a lesson right there about knowing your staff and empowering your staff and respecting their um, their expertise. And that's something certainly not being an ologist, I rely on my staff heavily for those types of things. And if, if my ecologist isn't okay with it, I need to fully understand why that's the case, uh, whether I'm moving in that direction or if I can't move in that direction for, for some reason. Um, but I certainly appreciate those examples of um, deferring to expertise and taking into account expertise. So we mentioned the fact, or you talked about that you're not an ologist, but I know because I've been out a bunch that you get to sneak out into your NCA and do fun stuff from time to time. Uh, what in your last two and a half or three, three and a half years? Two and a half, two and a half years. <laughs> um, what's the funnest or most interesting ologisty thing that you've been able to tag along and see in your NCA? The bird banding is amazing. Um, the opportunity to hold, whether it be a baby owl or a ferruginous hawk, um, something about small animals, I think speaks to everybody and it speaks to me. And so getting that, um, that contact with birds uh, certainly um, helps me understand people who had it to begin with. You know, I, I had to um, be introduced to it, um, but that certainly that's been amazing. Um, I had an opportunity to go back to University of Minnesota and take their uh, care and management of raptors course because we have educational raptors. And learning about um, captive bird behavior and being able to hold a bald eagle, I mean, who gets to do that also? Like, that, that was never on my radar as somebody growing up. Like, one day I'm going to have a bald eagle on my arm. Um, so that's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, any interaction with the the birds is great. I was really excited when we got Nell, who's our prairie falcon, uh, because prairie falcons don't typically make good educational raptors. And being up close with her, I'd never been close to a prairie falcon before, and yet they're the kind of the this main um, representative species of the NCA. And being up close to her is kind of that aha moment of like, I know why people love this bird. Um, and then and then there's other random things, like I've been up in a Black Hawk helicopter several times for things with the military and, you know, getting to meet certain people. Um, I think working for the BLM provides you this opportunity to do things that you wouldn't get to do in any other job. And I've had throughout my entire career with BLM, these points and experiences that I could pull out where I could honestly say like, who gets to do this? Who gets paid for this? Um, and it's been life-changing. Anything else to add, Steve? I don't, I think that, yeah. I think that captures it. That was our interview with Amanda Hoffman, the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey NCA manager. If you'd like to learn more about this oral history project, more information can be found at 
birdsofpreyncapartnership.org slash dedication point. Dedication Point is a production of the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership in association with the Bureau of Land Management, the Wild Lens Collective, and the Archives of Falconry. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky, along with Steve Olsip. Our theme music is by The Great Turtle.